Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of the What in the Sam Hill podcast. I am your host and resident nerd, Erin. Join me for this journey into the secrets of the universe. There was once a woman who lived on the sea, where the winds blew cold and damp. By day, she combed the sands for seaweed, and by night, she lay alone in her bed, weak and lonely. For her husband was a fisherman, and by the light of the moon, he trawled the rocky coasts, eking out a cruel living, but one which kept them fed and warm in a cozy cottage. The woman longed for a child, but it was many years before she was granted her wish, and when her baby finally came, he was small and feeble. Her neighbors said he would die, or worse, be snatched by the fairies, who loved a child so fair of complexion, so slight of build. He would be taken, they said, to the land of light, where the fairies danced and sang and played all day, where they set traps and tricks for mortal folk who crossed their merry paths. The fisherman's poor wife could not help but think that a life of laughter would bring roses to the cheeks of her white child, and she wished with all her being that he would be stolen by the fairies and taken to a land where he could become strong. And so it was that the fisherman's wife set her child out on the rocks, on the edge of her land, and watched and waited. She slept for a few moments, but otherwise moved not, and still her baby lay there, swaddled and spiritless, an invitation to the little folk which was not accepted. At length she berated herself for her foolhardy actions, and brought her baby into the cottage once more. And there he surprised her by pulling himself up and demanding food, attaching himself to her teat with such relish that she drew back, He suckled the woman dry and then demanded porridge, but still he lay small and wizened, more yellow than before, but so hungry that she could not feed him. So the fisherman's wife placed her baby at her breast and went to see the wise man in the village, anxious about her small but starving baby, frightened by his curious change. The wise man listened carefully to her story, silently shaking his head. You have not your own bairn, but a fairy changeling, he said finally. The wife of the fisherman balked, for there in front of her was the very shape and likeness of her baby, and the cry was as shrill as ever. She refused to believe him. Take him then to your cottage, and leave him in his cradle. Shut the door, but do not go. Spy upon him there, and you will be sure. And so the fisherman's wife returned to her cottage, and laid the baby upon his bed, shutting the door firmly behind her, but skulking back to peer in the window. And suddenly her baby sat up and drew from under the mattress a chanter, which he began to play. And instead of her baby, there was an old fairy bodash. She fairly flew back to the wise man and implored him to help her get rid of the changeling, sickened at the thought of having suckled that gnarled old creature. Calmly, the wise man told her what to do. The very next day, the wife of the fisherman took her changeling baby and laid him on a rock by the sea busying herself by collecting seaweed as she did on every day that passed, and comforted by this routine, the baby, or the fairy Bodash, as she now knew he was, fell asleep. As he slept, the tide drew in, licking at the rock on which he slept, until the waters began to dampen his wrappings, and he woke with a start. When he realized that he could not reach the fisherman's wife without swimming, he rose to his full height, and a little fairy man once more, he began to stamp his feet and howl, shaking his fist at the fisherman's wife, who stood entranced as the waters threatened to engulf the fierce fairy. And so it was that ten or twelve small fairies appeared to rescue their kin, but since fairies cannot swim, they danced helplessly on the shore while the water grew higher and higher about the rock. 
The fisherman's wife was smug, and she said, I shall leave him there until you return my baby. And the fairies disappeared and returned with her baby, who had grown in his time away from his mother, and whose cheeks were roses, whose white skin held the bloom of good health. And she thanked the fairies and returned their bodash to them. So the fisherman's wife, flushed with her good fortune, went back to her cozy cottage, protected from the winds which blew cold and damp from the sea. She lived there with her blossoming baby, by day combing the sands for seaweed, and at night nestling warm in her bed with her son, silently thanking the little people who had made him strong. This week we are discussing changelings, which are fairies left in place of kidnapped humans. They look like the human they have replaced, but there are some small indications that it isn't the same person, some of which are sickness, ugliness, apparent oldness, supernatural knowledge, slow development, insatiable hunger, and extraordinary musical abilities. Fairies are said to specialize in the magic of glamour, so they could charm anything into looking like the human that was taken. Sometimes the changeling was a fairy, Sometimes it was just a log called a stock that had been charmed to look like the missing human. The people most likely to be abducted are children, typically male, and women who had just given birth, although apparently a few cows got snatched as well. Children were believed to be taken for various reasons, including being coveted by the fairies, to work as a fairy servant, as a tithe to hell, or even just because the fairies wanted revenge. Women were believed to be taken so that they could nurse fairy babies as human milk was a superior product, which is kind of funny considering most modern mothers don't even breastfeed their own kids. Unfortunately, it was believed that in order to have your child returned, you had to physically harm the changeling so that the fairies would be forced to return your child in order to protect their own. Some methods included fire, beating, exposure, charms, herbs, throwing the changeling in a river, and yelling that the fairy hill is on fire. That is obviously a terrible idea because, as you can imagine, it led to very real abuse, some of which we will discuss. Primarily, the legend of the changeling comes from Celtic folklore, as does much of the fairy folklore we have, But there are some similar creatures in other cultures as well, including British, Scandinavian, German, and even some African cultures. This episode will primarily focus on the Irish accounts. Now, you may have heard of Changelings because of the 2008 movie with Angelina Jolie, but that was just a play on the name. It was based on real-life events in the 1920s where a mother was bullied and gaslit by the police into thinking a human child, who was not her kidnapped son, actually was her son. It was more so a commentary on police incompetence and maleficence rather than on fairies. And yes, I did just use the word maleficence as a reference to another Angelina Jolie movie where she played a fairy. So sue me. There are other books and movies that also play on this theme of switching out human for human, and modern comics and paranormal fiction have even morphed the idea of a changeling into a shapeshifter that takes on the appearances and voices of other people at will. Again, this is not the true legend of the changeling and will be ignored for the purposes of this episode. So let's talk about that abuse I mentioned. Basically all of the modern historical accounts that we have of changelings end poorly. Here are some examples. 1814. A seven-year-old boy in Fledamore County Tipperary is thought to be a changeling. 
His parents, with the help of some neighbors, put the boy in a field between three large fires. They hoped that as he burned alive, the changeling would jump up and run away, admitting to be a fairy in order to save its life. Instead, the crippled boy lay there begging for his mother to save him. They waited until burn wounds were visible on his body and then decided to rescue him. Unfortunately, the boy still died a few hours later. The local church made these monsters perform public penance, but the local magistrates did nothing. The English press, however, thought it was a delightful example of the backwardness of rural Ireland. 1840. John Mahoney, a six- or seven-year-old boy in Haywood County Leash, was determined to be a changeling because he was bedridden with a severe curvature of the spine, but yet was very intelligent and made remarks that seemed beyond what should have been his abilities given his age. The parents and neighbors threatened the boy with a scalding hot shovel and also with waterboarding under the well pump. The boy admitted to being a fairy and said he would return the real John Mahoney the next day if he was given lodging for the night. In the morning, John was dead, seemingly due to his failing health condition. The jury determined that he, quote, died by the visitation of God. And I'll have to agree, it seems God performed a mercy killing on that boy so he wouldn't have to suffer horribly at the hands of the people who were supposed to care for and protect him. 1854. This abuse case is slightly less depressing because no one actually dies. Instead, we have a man nicknamed the Colonel in Virginia County Cabin. He was believed to be a changeling both by his parents and the community because he was a dwarf, because he was born on Halloween, which was believed to be a time when the veil between the fairy world and the human world was thin, and because he didn't go to church or pray. In fact, when people tried to force him to do the sign of the cross, he was known to kick and bite them. Of course, it is admitted that he doesn't go to church because he faced extreme derision from the community as he was growing up. So I'm sure his unwillingness to pray or participate in Catholic customs had nothing to do with the emotional and psychological abuse he faced at the hands of religious people. 1890, young Patrick McCormick of County Donegal was sick, bedridden, and had recently slipped into unconsciousness. The family would sit up with him praying, but one night his father sent the family to bed and said he would sit watch over Patrick. Instead, the father took a pair of iron tongs and beat Patrick to death, and then ran to the local priest to brag about it, saying, I have done for Ironsides now. I have killed the devil and the fairies for taking away Patrick. They have taken away Patrick, but I have done for Ironsides. Now, I don't quite get the Ironsides remark. I assume it's a reference to Oliver Cromwell, nicknamed Ironsides, who invaded Ireland in the 17th century, but the phrasing is kind of odd. It seems like an idiom. Perhaps it's something like throwing off the oppressor. Um, if you're from Ireland or the UK and you know the phrase, or like your grandma on the Gale Tack knows the phrase, please tell me what it means, because slang is very weird sometimes. 1895. This is the most famous modern-ish case of a changeling. Bridget Cleary, a woman from County Tipperary, was murdered, supposedly because she was a changeling. Bridget was an independent young woman who worked as a milliner. 
But after a few days of battling bronchitis and slowly getting worse, Bridget's husband, Michael, along with her father, Patrick, who had been living with them at the time, decided that she was a changeling. That belief was supported by the fact that town legend said their house had been built on a fairy ring. Of course, Michael also said that he hadn't been giving her the medicine that the doctor had prescribed because he didn't trust it. Now, I'm not sure what Irish doctors were using at the time, but I know in rural Georgia, our doctors were using several essential oils that actually were fairly effective for most illness. Some of those essential oils are actually even the precursors of medicine that we still use today. So good job, sir. In order to cast out the fairy, they threw urine on her and brought her close to the fireplace. And apparently that didn't go so well because her burnt corpse was found several days later in a shallow grave. And nine people, including her husband, her father, her aunt, her cousins, and some family friends were charged with murder. Now, those were not the only crimes against supposed changelings, and thankfully it doesn't seem to still be happening, but man, is it hard to read those. It definitely speaks to a few things, though. First, the defense for most of the perpetrators of violence against changelings was insanity, and they were shipped off to institutions instead of prison. The local Irish press wrote about these crimes negatively, and the church was making these people do public penance which is reserved for the worst sins. So despite what the English press might have said, it does seem that most of the people in Ireland weren't just blindly accepting this narrative that harming your sick child would bring you back a new healthy child. But we also see accounts that neighbors were involved in so many of these incidents. So there really should have been more people realizing that you're torturing and killing a kid. Unfortunately, as I get older, I'm realizing how many people are physically or sexually abused by members of their own family. So as much as I think it's horrifying that these children were murdered by their families, I suppose I'm not as shocked as I probably should be. Another thing, you'll notice that we have a lot of boys being the targets. Unfortunately, this may be a byproduct of the nature of inheritance. In the 1814 incident, for example, the newspaper article uses the term suppositious, which is very hard to say, but refers to an offspring that doesn't have inheritance rights, a pretender, a bastard. And I think that's a big part of this. When your son is too sick to inherit the family lands and such, it's nice to think, well, maybe that's just not my real child, instead of, oh my gosh, I hope I don't die and leave my wife and daughter's penniless because they can't inherit anything. Most researchers assume that the children are struck with some level of disability, but obviously every case and every set of symptoms is different. There are some cases where it appears to be some genetic condition of sorts. Some seem to be possibly spina bifida or something like that where we now take prenatal vitamins to prevent it. And then some honestly seem to be autism or some other form of what we now call neurodivergence. It really just depends. The key is really just that they're not a healthy, normal kid that could function in society. For some reason, they're different. With the postnatal women being victims, I see a real problem both in the accounts that I read and then just historically in general with misdiagnosed postpartum depression. 
But considering this is the era where the foremost European doctors thought that hysteria was a legitimate diagnosis for a woman and the solution was for the doctor to masturbate the woman, I'm not sure if I would rather have my husband think I'm a fairy or if I would rather be Larry Nassard by the local quack. But this is not an impassioned tirade against the state of women's healthcare, so let's move on. Now, most historical researchers of the changeling myth would kind of just leave the analysis there. It's disabled children being misunderstood and abused by their parents. But I think there's still more meat on that bone. While most of the modern historical accounts that we have are clearly of sick and disabled children being abused, the legends indicate you can get your child back. If all of the human children were taken never to be returned, then I think some sort of congenital or neurological disorder makes sense. But spina bifida doesn't just go away. Autism doesn't just go away. If the legend was referring to truly disabled children, then I would think that the legend would say that the fairies took the child and never it was never seen again. So that got me wondering about what could truly explain the legends. What's the number one rule of fairy club? Well, the number one rule of fairy club is that you don't talk about fairy club. But the number two rule is that fairies hate iron. One of the best ways to keep the fairies from stealing your child and replacing them with a changeling is to keep iron around. Iron, especially cooking in cast iron cookware, is also very good at preventing and treating iron deficiency anemia, an incredibly common but treatable disease that aligns very well with some of the most prevalent traits of a changeling. People with iron deficiency anemia often have pale skin and frail features. They are prone to exhaustion and difficulty breathing. There can be neurological symptoms, which might give off an appearance of slowness, irritability, or behavioral changes. And sometimes these people develop rough skin, damaged hair, and even alopecia, which may give an appearance of an old fairy parading around as your child. Those who are particularly at risk of developing iron deficiency anemia are children up to five years old, women of childbearing age via the menstrual cycle, and breastfeeding women, all of which lines up with those most prone to being taken by the fairies. Not only that, but of the children zero to five years of age, boys are more likely to be affected than girls, which again lines up with the fairy mythology. Another interesting point of the fairy mythology is that fairies supposedly dislike the color red because it reminds them that they don't have blood like humans do. So one of the ways to ward off the fairies is to wear a red patch to bed. This may actually also be a reference to iron, as iron is actually what gives our blood its red color. Ultimately, we still don't know why fairies hate iron, but it's possible that iron, as it combats iron-deficient changeling symptoms, might be a reason. Iron has been used as an internal health supplement since at least Hippocrates, and was used topically in Egypt even before that for baldness. Likewise, the fairy myths of Ireland and elsewhere are thousands of years old and have been somewhat lost in translation or lost to history as Christian scholars rewrote many of the myths and legends to better fit within a a Christian worldview. So the true answers, as much as it sucks, may be lost forever. One thing we can be reasonably sure of, though, is that etymology is not the original link. 
Even though fairy does sound very similar to ferrum, the Latin word for iron, and I would personally love if they were related, the English word fairy actually comes from Latin through Old French and is derived from the Latin word fata, meaning fate, as in the fates, as in the creepiest characters in Disney's Hercules. And then on top of that, the Irish would have called fairies the Ishi or the Dinishi, so that wouldn't be related to the Latin at all. But what do y'all think? Are changelings real? Are they a horrifying reminder of how some people will abuse the children that don't live up to their idea of perfection? Are they poor women and children that are suffering from anemia until the divine element of iron rids them of their fairy plight? I am personally of the belief that regardless of whether or not fairies are real, changelings are just some sort of misdiagnosed medical condition, probably some of which are congenital, but I think the majority of which are probably anemia and other related conditions that can be cured. So make sure to live your cast iron homesteader fantasy to prevent the fairies from climbing in your windows and snatching your people up. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. If you have any experiences or thoughts or theories that you want to share, please reach out via Substack, Twitter, Instagram, email, or even snail mail. And if you like the new intro and outro music, go check out Chuck from the Caffeine Creek Band on Facebook. Until next time, in the immortal words of Euripides, question everything, learn something, answer nothing, and I'll see you next week with an episode on the Denver airport. 